Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Adam Mixon, and I'm sitting here with my colleagues, Ryan Bonfilio, Adam Borneman, Mark Ramsey, and Jennifer Watley-Maxell. We are talking about today what institutional viability looks like for the church in a season that's fraught with change and instability. What does it look like for us to remain viable? Are we just talking about finances and butts in the seats? Are we talking about something that's deeper, uh, richer, and more spiritual than that? We're talking about Jesus. (laughs) Well, I don't know if I can offer what viability is, but I do feel fairly confident saying that we cannot assess viability by the numbers, which is what we have been doing. We've been using benchmarks, I think, that are outdated, that show a type of growth, but not health. And that I think that what we're after when we talk about viability is a model of growth, a model of engagement, a model of community, a way of relating to each other that is healthy and that can be sustained over time. And right now, I don't know if I see that health being produced. And I think part of it being healthy is something that we can replicate, that it's not just a season of growth or a season or period where we're doing okay, but that what we are producing as a community is healthy and growing and thriving. Yeah. I think sometimes when people talk about viability, where their mind goes is something like surviving or institutional sustainability. And those things are important, but if you think about the word viability, what we're talking about here is life. And I think for the church, viability can be a really inspiring and beautiful word. What does it mean to be a people full of life? What are the life-giving roots and branches of the church right now? So I wonder if we think about viability, like you said, Jennifer, we we do rethink the metrics, but we also just point to where the life is and attend to it. And Adam, that makes me think our language for the time that we're in really matters. I hear people talking about the church dying, and certainly they mean all the declining numbers that we all know so well. And not to deny those numbers, but that metaphor, the church is dying, focuses us away from the life. It focuses us away from what can be revitalized and made new and what is just lurking just beneath the surface and ready to bear fruit. So we need to be careful with our language and think about how is a church in a state of laying fallow? What's new that's about to come into existence? How do we focus our energy, our creativity, and time on that which is about to emerge and not that which is dying away? The thing is, there is data out there about who is not in church and why they are not in church and what they're looking for in a church or some other cultural institution. And part of viability is looking at that data. And I totally agree that we do not want to just look at 
who's in the pews and how much they're giving. At the same time, I don't want to turn totally away from that. And that's the difficult tension I feel. That too often gets weaponized in churches against pastors and against leaders. And that is evil, frankly. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we can't keep whistling past the graveyard and saying we don't have a problem. And as is true in some of our traditions, including my own, showing that decline in numbers is some sign of spiritual integrity. I don't read that in the book of Acts anywhere. So I totally agree. We don't want to be driven by that, but I do want us to be wise about what we know that people are looking for. And the question to me is, in a world where there are many people looking for greater meaning in their life, why is the church just looking inward or pretending those needs don't exist? One path to viability is right there. Mark, what you said is really nuanced. We don't shy away from how many people are showing up or what they're giving. That's really important because in our culture, people spend money on what matters to them. They invest in things that matter. So to absolutely jettison that would be kind of foolhardy. We can't do ministry without resource. But at the same time, when I think about viability, to your point, I'm thinking about viability as the way forward. How will we be, right? Which means that we need to scrutinize and maybe interrogate our past methodologies and become more sensitive to our context before we build it and expect everybody to come. We need to listen very well to those who are not inside or not a part of the body. Jennifer, I love what you said earlier about growth and health. You know, I probably, when I was a parish pastor, filled out 30 or 40 annual reports, you know, when you have to say how many members, how many baptisms, all that. Never once did my denomination ask me about spiritual health. Never once did they ask me about what were the theological issues most pressing on us. Never once did they ask about viability in any way other than data, which I don't think is against what I just said a minute ago, but I love when you say growth and health is the focus. That's a North Star to guide by, I think, in most congregations. Yeah, isn't it interesting when we talk about viability and Jesus himself says, I am the way. Jesus is the viability. And when we get distracted from that and start asking questions about all those other things you mentioned, Mark, we kind of lose sight of it. I think one of the things we have to look at as well is that we are so conditioned to critique and problematize Mm -hmm. and to be negatively oriented towards things. Howard Thurman talks about tending to the green growing edges. And I think that maybe our tending to muscles are a little weak Mm. because we haven't really been exercising them. You know, you've always heard people talk about pastoral care and self-care. And there's these ways that I think we have these very shallow ideas of care as certain behaviors that we undertake to get people back in the building. But what does it mean to faithfully tend to people to creation, to beings, however they exist in our communities and in our world, in a way where tending to is the goal, to tend to something and to tend to it over a period of time. And I think that that way of pastoring is what we as clergy long for. I think for a lot of us, that's what we signed up for. That's what got us energized and got us in the boat to begin with. And 
it's almost like we've been kind of doing these other functions feeling like, well, if I can manage enough, if I can get this budget enough, if I can get enough people in the building, then I can go ahead and do what I really want to do. But perhaps it is that us doing what we are really called to do that begins to turn the tide and reorient the work of our individual ecclesial communities. We often talk about uh, doing less and going deeper, and I love that orientation, but that begs the question, if we do less, what remains? What is that few subset of things that we continue to do? And I think often we get to that determination by thinking about what can we afford, what are we good at, what do we like doing? All of those are relevant, but maybe we need to start asking, what does our community need? What is that one thing in a very hyper-local sense? What thing can the church offer that our communities desperately need. And then let's start doing that. Let's start attending to the brokenness of our local communities and reorienting our mission around those particular needs. I wonder what that would look like and what would remain. I don't think every church would remain with the same viable things. We all would look really different because we were listening closely to the needs of very different communities in different places. Yeah, maybe our context or prompts for viability are actually in the places we least expect. Adam Mixon and I wrote an article several months ago where we talked about margin-shaped resilience. And this is another example of where your viability might be discovered in the margins, where the spirit is at work in ways that you didn't expect. Rather than searching in your own building for the sources of viability, it may well be in those other places and often is. I also appreciate that we are spending most of our time talking about viability here and not institution. One of the things that I feel sad about as I look out on the landscape of church, and I I know how we get there because we're all struggling to figure out what's going to be best, but the house churches and the small churches saying big churches have got to go and big churches saying, well, those small churches will never make it and everyone looking at everyone else. The fact is God's reign is big and multitudinous and plenty of room for everybody. There is nothing wrong with a traditional church that sits there and invites people people in in traditional ways, if that is feeding people, if it is leading to their growth and health, praise God. And just like that, the house church, the small church, the church that doesn't have a building and is wandering from place to place, we need all of it. And we've got to put down the, as I said earlier in the pandemic, this attempt to outfabulous each other or even just justify our own identity as an institution over against our Christian sisters and brothers. That's funny, man. You remind me of a commercial that I saw when I was a kid. Y'all remember the old 7-Up commercials with that weird dude from uh, James Bond? And he talks about uh, 7-Up being the (laughs) un-cola. In some ways, our striving for institutional viability or whatever, maybe the model is to break the model. To your point, Mark, to be broad enough to allow room for all of these different expressions of what it means to be, while also taking very seriously what has driven or motivated or in some ways defined our sense of calling to this work. If what we are doing is not an expression of our care for the souls of the people in our particular context, then what is the point? What is the point? Bricks, mortar, paper clips, popsicle sticks, 
if somebody meets Jesus through all of that, great, keep doing it. But if they don't, then guess what? Maybe it's time to do something differently. I've got a dear friend who has worked in interfaith work his entire career. He's a Presbyterian minister. The most important word he says in interfaith work, but I think this applies to intra-Christian viability, is the word contribution. He said he can be with a Muslim, a Buddhist, someone who is following a different religion and never want to convert to that. He's very happy being Christian, but always come out of a conversation with an appreciation for the contribution that path, that form of devotion has led him to understand more deeply his own faith in the Holy One. I think one of the paths to institutional viability is for every single Christian person, every one of us who says we're following Jesus, is to be gratefully receiving of any contribution anybody in Christian witness and service is making right now because none of us have a corner on this and we're struggling to figure out our way forward and we need everybody to help us. That right there, Mark, seems to me to really embrace a type of graciousness and an economy of abundance that we lack oftentimes when we're under duress. When we get under pressure or we're facing adversity, It's like the people stranded on a desert island. They start looking at who they're going to eat first. The churches started kind of, we're devouring our neighbors because we're under pressure. We're afraid somehow that there's not enough souls that need care. So we got to be in competition for those souls rather than compliment one another. And again, celebrate the contributions, even if it looks very different from what our models might be or whatever. I was reading a book. It's a fiction book called Transcendent Kingdom recently. And there's a quote in there from Walden. And it says, not till we are lost in our other words, not till we have lost the world, do we begin to find ourselves and realize where we are and the infinite extent of our relations. Hmm. And as we talk about this idea of institutional viability, it reminded me of this quote in our willingness to get lost with God. And I think some of it is our fighting the inevitability of God pulling us out in the wilderness. And we're like barring the door, like we will not leave this sanctuary. Hell or high water, we're going nowhere. We are going to stay here. And I think that there is this pulling us out of and drawing us out of that is very painful, that is very disillusioning. It's dislocating. It's all of those things, but it's pulling us out to something better, deeper, more authentic, more meaningful, and more truthful. And I think that that is that yearning that we feel. Mm -hmm. I think the tension that we're naming is the tension for the stability of what we know and our soul's longing for what it knows and us having to kind of make these decisions in community together with people who may not be experiencing the same longing that we are. Part of embracing viability, I think, entails not being afraid of where we are, not being afraid of the dark and the dying and the decay that we see. Wendell Berry has this poem about Advent and there's a line in it, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't know if this is exact, but he says, It gets darker and darker and darker, and then Jesus is born. 
And I love this idea that our hope for viability that we imagine in the birth of Christ coming into this world, it's not this ascent into light and things get better and better and better and better and better and then Jesus is born. It's the opposite. It gets darker and darker and darker and then God enters the world. I wonder if there's not a spark of hope for us in that reality, that new things, life springs from death. And maybe that's what we're seeing and hoping for and leaning into for the future of the church. I was kind of just musing about light and darkness and how we're in a season where people are just overwhelmed by shadows. We are disturbed, constantly frustrated and given to bitter because we are confronted by these shadows, death and struggle seems to be all around us. But the thing that really just broke through for me was that the ability to discern a shadow can only be possible when there is light. And it's as if all of humanity has kind of been standing with our backs to the sun, literally and figuratively, and we've gotten enamored by shadows, where if we would just turn, if we would just turn, we would find that the light that we seek is already present. Sometimes it's just a flicker, but that's what this season is really kind of speaking to. The light is there. The light is there. We just need to turn and embrace it. We don't need another gospel or another consultancy about how to preserve our institutions. We just need to turn and embrace the light. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.